0: Welcome to the Capital News. I'm your host, Alex Karaitis. Today is Saturday, March 5th, 2022. Thank you so much for joining me. Title of today's podcast, we're just going to do a weekly wrap-up here. I'm going to put out another podcast over the weekend as well to go into a little bit more detail with some of the topics that I'm going to discuss here briefly today. But first, a quick shout out to my yaya who turns 90 years old today. You want to know why I look so pretty? I get it all from her. So, happy birthday, Yaya. We love you very much. Enjoy that Florida sun. We'll see you soon. So, we had another crazy volatile week in the markets, the global markets. This is obviously a function of the volatility that is coming from Russia and Ukraine. That is the easy, obvious scapegoat that allows governments, corporations, central bankers to point the finger. There's the boogeyman. It's Vladimir Putin. It's the Russians invading Ukraine. All of the problems that you have, or at least the bulk of them, are stemming from that crisis. That, that of course, is ridiculous, but it gives them cover. And if they continue to repeat it over and over and over again on Fox, on CNBC, on CNN, you name it, people actually start to believe this crap. But guess what? Vladimir Putin... As bad of a guy as he is, and he is, okay? So understand me. I do not come to the defense of Vladimir Putin when I conduct my analysis. I simply look at it from his perspective. I'm giving another viewpoint that we typically do not get, unfortunately, in our media, we don't get it. It's it's wear your Ukrainian flag on your lapel. It's pray for the Ukrainian people. It's the Ukrainian people are heroes. It's President Zelensky of Ukraine is a hero. It's never well why is Russia doing this? Well, it's cuz they're evil cuz Vladimir Putin's a bad guy. Nobody in this business has a clean shirt. Barack Obama didn't have a clean shirt. Trump didn't have a clean shirt. The Clintons, the Bushes, Nobody has a clean shirt here. Vladimir Putin doesn't have a clean shirt. President Zelensky doesn't have a clean shirt. Trudeau up north doesn't have a clean shirt. You get it? Don't buy into this propaganda. Vladimir Putin is acting as a rational actor. He does not want nuclear weapons on his border. We do not want nuclear weapons on our border here in the United States. We don't want nuclear weapons coming from other countries who typically don't like us, landing on Mexican soil or Canadian soil. We would push back. We would do everything we could to prevent it. That would be us acting in a rational manner. It's the same thing that Vladimir Putin is doing. We're getting a lot of propaganda because this is war. That's what happens. The first casualty of war is always the truth. You're going to get tidbits of truth from the U.S. You're going to get tidbits of truth from NATO, from the European Union. You're going to get tidbits of truth from Russia, from Ukraine, and you're going to get a lot of lies from all of the above. You have to stop and think for yourself. You have to think rationally through all of the noise, and it is extremely difficult to do so. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I have inside information as to what's going on because I don't. All I can do is look at who's doing the talking, and then look and see what they have said before. Does what they say come to fruition, or are they full of hot air? I mean, we have Lindsey Graham, who is, I guess if you want to consider him, a prominent United States senator and a Republican, he's outright calling for the assassination of President Putin. Outright assassination. Asking basically somebody in Russia, is there no Brutus in Russia? Obviously, referring to the assassination of Julius Caesar, which didn't end too well, by the way. If you understand your history, the Romans didn't like that too much, descended into civil war for a bit. Of course, Lindsey Graham doesn't care, probably doesn't know either, because he's full of hot air. He's a tough guy, sitting from the safety of his home in South Carolina and wherever he lives in Washington, D.C. He ain't going to fight. But, of course, he was very much, I don't know how instrumental, but at least he was part of the face and part of the voice of the Orange Revolution in Ukraine. Him and his old buddy, Senator John McCain, they were going over there all the time, remember? Stirring up chaos and problems. So maybe Lindsey Graham is a bit nervous Maybe he did some shady things because, again, nobody has a clean shirt in this business. So is he afraid what Vladimir Putin might find on him if he should capture some some Ukrainian politicians and say, give me the dirt or I'm sending you you nowhere? Know give me the dirt on all of these American politicians and European politicians and I'll let you live. I'll let you go. I'll, I'll just put you in jail for a little bit or whatever. I'll cut you a deal. Give me the dirt. Or maybe he'll just find all of that information in some government building where there's documents. These people are nervous. When you have the Clintons, the Bushes, the Lindsey Grahams of the world all in alignment, something is amiss. Something is wrong. And we know from their track record that they lie to us all the time. We know from their track record that they're not very good at their jobs and being servants for and to the American people. So when they're talking, my first reaction is they are lying to me. And then I'll dissect what they have to say. And then we'll see what happens from there. So these are the the questions that you have to ask yourself. Everybody wants to play the tough guy, but they never go over to be tough. It's send your kids over there or send somebody else's. Okay. And another thing that we have with Again, President Zelensky being praised as a hero and this, that, or the other. I'm not buying that rhetoric at all. He's got some dirty business of his own, locking up some of his opponents. Not good business over there, folks. Plus, he keeps poking the bear, keeps claiming that he wants to join the European Union, wants to join NATO. Well, what do you think Russia's going to do as a direct consequence of that, exactly what's taking place right now? You can only push and poke somebody for so long before they act. Well, here we are. Here we are. And we're going to get into some of those sanctions that are playing out against Russia and how Russia is pushing back. Pretty much exactly what I predicted, at least in part. And this is something that I have been discussing before this, before the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, before this whole, before this whole debacle. I was talking about Countries going to restrict or outright halt exports of crucial agricultural commodities, metals, energy, you name it. I was talking about this before the pandemic. I really started harping on a point during the pandemic because of so much uncertainty that existed. And of course, you had the supply chain issues that were with us then. They're still with us today. And they're going to continue for some time because what we heard last week this past week is the country of hungary is banning the exports of all grain products okay so they're not exporting any grains because they want they have a surplus which allows them to export to begin with but they got to take care of their people because maybe somebody in the hungarian government understands that empty stomachs are the cause for revolutions And maybe those politicians want to keep their heads upon their necks. Okay, because that's unfortunately what it's probably going to come to. Here's why. Because as a result of these sanctions against Russia, Russia is now playing the same game. What did I say? I believe it was the first day that Russia invaded Ukraine. I said, pay attention. Pay attention to fertilizer. And the reason I said that is because Russia and Belarus, who is an ally of Russia, are two of the world's largest producers of fertilizer for agricultural products, for farming. Canada's top, I think Russia's number two, Belarus is number three, and China comes in at a distant fourth. Well, guess what Vladimir Putin said this week? He is asking Russian companies, which basically means he is telling them, to stop exporting your fertilizer to the world. Fantastic, isn't it? We've already seen a massive uptick in natural gas prices, especially in Europe. Natural gas being an input good to manufacture fertilizer. So you already have that price going up. And now you have major exporting nations, because I'm sure Belarus is going to get on board with this too, if Vladimir Putin tells them to. Stop your exports or limit them Food prices are going to go through the roof. Wheat prices are on a tear. We're going to get through that. We're going to get to that here shortly. Soybeans, you name it, go down the list. This is just getting started, folks. This is not going to end anytime soon. Because don't forget, Russia and Ukraine combined account for about 25% of the world's wheat production. 25%. That's nothing to sneeze at. That is huge. Furthermore, Russia and Ukraine combined account for about 20% of the world's corn production. A lot of people on this planet survive on those two products. Wheat, grains, if you will, and corn. It's a lot. 25% wheat, 20% corn. It's not small potatoes. It's big. It's huge. It has major ramifications. And then you bring in the fertilizer aspect of it all. You can see where this is headed. The writing is on the wall. These people are playing chess, not checkers. This is a serious game that is being played. So Russia is controlling a lot of cards here. They got food, they got energy. Europe needs both. A lot of those agricultural exports end up making their way to the Middle East. Well, what did we see a decade ago? We saw the Arab Spring. In large part, that was because of the astronomical increases to food prices, particularly wheat. Because bread is a major foodstuff for Middle Eastern nations. It's a major foodstuff for a lot of poorer nations. That's why the price of bread, as I like to say here, is a great barometer for political instability, protest, riots, and revolutions. This is what we saw a decade ago. We are very much likely going to witness this again. And when you're talking about Middle Eastern nations, you're talking about a lot of countries that are exporters of oil and gas. Well, guess what? If they're protesting, rioting, throwing a revolution, staging coups, the whole gambit, guess what's going to happen to energy prices? They're going to continue to go upward. And energy prices are inputs to everything that is done on this planet for better or worse. That's how it works. So you think this inflation is just going to be transitory, you think it was just because of supply chain disruptions because of COVID-19, you're out of your mind. All of this noise that is taking place right now, and of course it's very serious, people are dying unfortunately, but this is a great scapegoat. This is great cover for, again, corporations to say, well, our earnings aren't doing well because of all of the geopolitical nonsense. It's a great scapegoat for governments to not take any responsibility, along with federal, the Federal Reserve and other central banks, to say this has nothing to do with fiscal and monetary policy. This massive trillion, trillion, trillion dollar injection into the global system—of course, that had nothing to do with it. They'll say it's all because of COVID-19, supply chain disruptions, and Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin is not responsible for the United States of America having thirty trillion dollars in debt. Period. End of story. Vladimir Putin is not responsible for the United States' education system where kids can't read at their grade level. They can't do basic math. They can't do and understand basic science. Okay? Vladimir Putin is not responsible for our crumbling infrastructure. Not responsible for out-of-control health costs. Education costs. Unaffordable housing. Utility prices keep going up, okay? Not his fault. Not his fault that we go all over this planet pretending to be the nice guy, wanting to be be the policeman of the world. We cannot do it. We should not do it. We were told not to do it by our founders, who were definitely smarter than all of the politicians that we've had in this country for generations. So I'm not going to take my marching orders from Barack Obama, Nancy Pelosi... Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Lindsey Graham, Mitch McConnell, the Bushes, the Clintons, the Obamas. Not doing it. Not going to take my marching orders from them. I will take my marching orders from the United States Constitution. I will take it from Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, you name them. They knew a thing or two. They taught us. They warned us. But we don't want to listen. We want to pretend like we know better. And a lot of people end up dead. And I'm not being hyperbolic here. They literally end up dead because of our interference going all over the place. Because how? when do we stop? Where do we draw the line? Whose life is more important? Is a Ukrainian's life more important than a Syrian's? Or a Libyan's? Or a Sudanese? Or a Yemeni's? The Lebanese, the Afghanis, who's more important than who? Where do you draw the line? Because you're going to have to do it. And of course, what ends up drawing that line is geography. How important is it strategically, militarily speaking, geopolitically speaking? How can we influence a region, perhaps, if we can put in our own puppet regime? Because we do it too. Who can we pay off? Who can we bribe? What type of natural resources exist within that country? A lot of oil, a lot of gas, a lot of minerals, rare earth minerals. What's there? That's how you determine it. And then, of course, if any of these countries happen to threaten the United States dollar, if that, and what I mean by that is, let's just take, for example, Iraq. If they said, well, you know, we got a lot of oil. I understand that the United States of America created the petrodollar system with the Saudis back in the 1970s once Nixon removed us from the gold standard entirely. Well, we have to have some type of support, some type of demand for U.S. dollars. Otherwise, the U.S. economy is going to collapse. Well, oil is a big one. So if we make the system so where the Saudis, of course, at the time were the kingpins of oil, only accept dollars... For barrels of oil, well, then you have an artificial demand for U.S. dollars, so you provide some stability there. So if Saddam Hussein wants to come out and say, "Well, we got a we got a lot of oil here in Iraq, but I'm not really too partial to U.S. dollars. I'd like to take some euros, I'll I'll take some British pounds, I'll take some gold, I'll take a basket of currencies," well, the United States doesn't like that too much, so we go knocking on his door. That's the history of it. Look it up. Anytime that the U.S. dollar is threatened, the United States Marine Corps is called up, okay? If it comes to that, they might be able to do things behind the scenes. But if they can't, send in the Marines. That's what we do. And again, this isn't just me saying this. This was the United States Marine Corps general saying this 80 years ago. General Smedley Butler, war is a racket. One of the most highly decorated Marine officers in the history of the United States. Okay? A badass. All right? This isn't just me sitting here saying how I think the world should be. This is a four-star Marine Corps general, one of the most highly decorated ever, saying that war is a racket. Go buy the book. It's a little book. Makes his point very succinctly, very clearly, that he understood, after doing all of this fighting on the ground all over the place, connecting the dots. Well, I'm being sent here and then, hmm, major U.S. corporations end up coming in behind me or they're already there and there's a problem. So we got to go take care of these corporate interests. It was 80, 90 years ago, folks. Nothing has changed. And then, of course, we were warned about the military-industrial complex by a five-star general and a former president of the United States, Dwight D. Eisenhower in his farewell address. Warning us about the military-industrial complex that exists and will persist. No, we we did have some real men in that office, but it's been a long time. People don't want to pay attention. Again, as long as the Super Bowl is on Sunday and you can eat some chicken wings, everything's A-OK, isn't it? And then you scratch your head and you can't figure out Why is it so expensive for me to buy a house? Why can't I afford this? Why are cars so expensive for transportation? My utility bill, why can't I put my kids through school? Why am I living paycheck to paycheck? I can't figure it out, but as long as they give me football, perfectly okay. Bread and circus, you people better wake up. Stop voting for these Republicans and Democrats. They have screwed this country over. They have taken everything out of it. As much corruption as exists in other countries and governments the world over, Can't hold a flame to the United States of America with the amount of money that goes through this system. The waste that we go through, just at the government level, amounts to some country's GDP. Okay, so you can point the finger and say, this guy's a bad guy, and this guy's a bad guy, and they do some bad stuff too. Money-wise, they they don't even come close to what's going on in this country, and you better wise up to it. Because it's your money after all, it's your money. And then they still don't have enough. So they got to print it. So you're paying taxes in the first place. Then you have to deal with inflation, which is another tax, which you didn't vote for. But politicians did because they want it. They want the easy way out. They want the easy way out. No leadership, no accountability, no responsibility. We promised you X well, we'll try to give it to you, even if it's with a bunch of inflated funny money. That's exactly where we are. That's why it's going to get worse. That's why the Federal Reserve and other central banks are trapped. Because we have $30 trillion in debt. It continues to go higher. And if interest rates move up ever so slightly, the game is over. So all of this talk about the Fed getting serious to fight inflation, which is at 7.5%. And of course, it's probably closer to double that. When you look at export prices being up year over year 15%. And that's a more accurate representation because export prices take into consideration all of your input and production costs because you got to produce it to send it out. Understand? So it's a much better representation. So to think that the Federal Reserve increasing interest rates by 25 basis points ago to get us to 1.5%, 2% by the end of the year, maybe to, f- to combat 7.5% inflation, really 15%. It's ludicrous. It's a joke. It's a slap in the face. The Fed's balance sheet did, however, come down on a week-over-week basis about $24 billion, but it barely registers when you look at their balance sheet. $24 billion is still a ton of money. $24 billion would still make you one of the most wealthiest people, person on the planet. But it barely registers on the Federal Reserve's balance sheet. Most of that roll-off came in mortgage-backed securities. They continue to increase their holdings of Uncle Sam's debt, exactly as we're stating here, because they have to, because nobody else is going to be able to buy all this stuff. It's not going to happen. The only place that money is going to come from is if you have massive selling, and of course, that would have to be profit-taking. So you'd actually have to have capital here. If you had profit-taking, from a lot of other stock markets or other assets that appreciated, and then you just rolled it over into government debt because perhaps you're looking for the safety of government debt because really it's the last place to go. But it's really not that safe in the grand scheme of things. But it might be the best-looking girl at the dance. Again, we're all on this planet together. There's nowhere else to go, so it's all a world about relativity. Where can I park it? Same thing we're seeing with the U.S. dollar. Up, let me tell you right now where it is, because I want to go over markets, obviously. The dollar index is at 98.51. This is a fresh 22-month high. I've been telling this audience for three years a scenario where the U.S. dollar can turn into a wrecking ball. The U.S. dollar continues to climb higher and higher against a basket of currencies it is going to turn into a wrecking ball. What we are looking at here, despite the fact that the dollar is appreciating against a global basket of currencies and the dollar index is heavily weighted against the euro, but nonetheless, the dollar continues to appreciate against the basket of currencies. And I stress this because overall, net-net, the U.S. dollar is weakening. That's the inflation. But guess what? So are all of the other countries' currencies too. We're just perhaps the best banana republic Of all of them. And so for a time, we're going to continue to see the U.S. dollar rising against a basket of currencies. What this is also akin to is basically the United States exporting our inflation. Okay? And the reason why you you can look at it like this and why you should look at it like this is the reason I have been saying. A lot of countries around the world, especially developing countries, a lot of countries with shaky governments... In shaky finances are not able to issue debt in their domestic currency because investors do not want to take on that added risk of currency risk saying your government's too unstable there could be a coup at any time uh, there could be a whole host of issues plus i don't like your currency and i don't want to take the risk they understand this these countries so they say okay well we're allowed to trade in u.s dollars we will issue our debt in u.s dollars Now investors will say, okay, I will take U.S. dollars because it's identified the world over. It stands, it's a reserve currency, we can use it, we'll take it. Perfect. Okay. Well, if you look at the amount of debt that exists on this planet, it is astronomical. It only continues to go up. It's skyrocketed throughout the pandemic. And all of that debt is coming due. They got to pay the principal, they have to pay the interest. So, if you have the U.S. dollar appreciating against this global basket of currencies, it's going to take more of those domestic countries' currencies to pay off their debts. Understand, this is not too difficult to understand. So, now this means that there are fewer dollars within these government coffers to pay for whatever they're promising their citizens whether it's subsidies, and again, rightly or wrongly, I'm not here to judge these policies right here. I'm just making the overall point about how the dollar is and can be a wrecking ball and how we're exporting inflation and how this can lead to further disruptions with protests, with strikes, with riots, you name it. Because now these governments are going to be hamstrung because they are now sending more and more of their tax revenue to bondholders because they need the U.S. dollars to pay them off, interest and in principal. So that means fewer dollars exist within their systems to subsidize fuel, to subsidize housing, to, to give their people whatever they promise them and basically provide their status quo. Again, good or bad, right or wrong, not arguing about that. But that's what people are accustomed to. And if those benefits get cut, you can see how easily... This can lead to protests, riots, revolutions, coups, strikes. And if countries start to strike or they just aren't working because of the protests or everything else that's going on, it's less production. Maybe they're going to stop exporting, further supply chain disruptions, less products coming on to market, higher prices. This is a vicious cycle that is likely going to be with us like I've said, probably for the remainder of this decade, unfortunately. Hope I'm wrong on that. But that's how I see it. And everything that I have been stating for the past few years has come to fruition in one form or another. And so when you have countries already announcing, and we've seen this over the past couple of years too in other respects, countries saying we're, we're stopping our exports or we're limiting our exports of this good or that good, you're going to see that continue. Because governments have to protect their people. And obviously these politicians are are going to want to protect their heads figuratively and literally if it gets bad enough. So if they think that doing this can buy them just a little bit of time they'll do it. Because politicians are always going to look for the easy way out. The quick way. Whether it's the right best policy or not they'll buy time they'll make up a story they'll find somebody else to blame they'll blame the other party They'll they'll blame a country that's at war with somebody else. You get the picture. This is all getting started, too. This is just another layer of this whole unraveling. It's really what it is. And of course, this is all in a back set with with the Great Reset going on. You will own nothing and you will like it. And I want to talk about housing on another podcast, might do that. That might be the focus of my other podcast this week and not 100% sure yet, still thinking on that. So we got the dollar index, 98 spot 51. We got the euro, which again is going to be at a basic two-year low as well. Commodity prices, we have WTI up 7.4%, trading at $115.68 to close the week, $115 almost 116 a barrel, WTI. Brent up nearly 7% as well, trading at $118.11 a barrel. Natural gas up 4% here in the U.S., $4.91, excuse me. Gold and silver continuing to catch a bid, although they're still lagging behind how some of these other commodities have really made some moves. I think those big moves will be coming in gold and silver. Or might just be steady as she goes. I'll take either one. And in fact, sometimes it's better to be steady as she goes. Gold is up 2% on Friday's trading session, $1,970 per ounce, breaking out of some key technical patterns. So there's some room to run on the upside. Same for silver, but it's a little bit cleaner on gold. But if silver has a nice week coming up, then it'll be a similar story. Silver up 2% on Friday, trading at $25.67. Copper also up 2.6%, $4.89. We got soybeans almost at $17 a bushel. Wheat, I think the last podcast I did when I talked about the price of wheat, it was at $10 a bushel. Now it's at $11.45 a bushel. Okay, it is taking off. Easy to understand why I announced that last week. I've been talking about it on all of the other podcasts that I've been having since I've been back. Mentioned it at the top of this podcast. Fertilizer prices, understanding who produces it. Very easy to connect these dots. We understand what led to the Arab Spring, or at least was a major component of that brush fire. We have a very similar situation right now. And in fact, it's probably even worse than it was a decade ago because we have trillions and trillions more debt circulating in the system as we speak coal coal prices coal was supposed to be dead supposed to be dead prices have been skyrocketing four hundred and eighteen dollars a ton hold on let me bring this chart up so i can give you where it pretty much historically has traded going back let's just go back 10 years here roughly we'll go back to 2010 all right Through 2010, through about 2020, you have a trading range between $50 and $150. So $50 to $150 per ton. This is the price of coal. It is now at $418. You got it. If you're at the lower bound, it's eight times higher where it (laughs) it historically has been trading it's ridiculous. Now, is that sustainable? Time's going to tell. It could just be something that we saw with like the price of lumber. You have that meteoric rise. It comes back down. But guess what? Lumber has gone back up to $1,452 per 1,000 linear board feet. How do you explain this? Because you had all of those deflationists out there saying, well, yeah, we saw that astronomical increase up to almost $1,800. 1800 it came all the way back down to five something, and now it's back up to 1452. All of those deflationists were cheering that, oh, see, look at this. The price of lumber came all the way back down to $500. There is no inflation. See, it is going to be transitory. And then, whoop, here we go, all the way back up to 1400. We know the amount of stress that this puts on home buyers. We know that this puts stress, obviously, on home builders as well, because it adds tens of thousands of dollars to new construction. That's just the lumber. You have all your other basic and building materials that go into building a house as well. Those are all going up. You will own nothing and like it, folks. That's the way of the world. That's lumber. And we don't look at lumber as a great metric for inflation or deflation here. That was just something that the inflationists wanted to attempt to hang their hat on and say, see, we told you so. The inflation was going to be transitory. Mm, No, no, it wasn't. No, it isn't. And it's not going to be. U.S. stocks. The Dow Jones Industrial Average gave back 1% on Friday. 33,467 points is where we currently trade on the Dow 30 it's only a few thousand points away from an all-time high. So despite all of this volatility and the noise that comes through on Wall Street and all the other media stations, it's a correction. It's 10%. Will it turn into something more? It very well may, because bubbles are popping. Uh, markets are selling off in Europe. They're selling off here in the US too, but a lot of even the larger indexes have erased their entire gains throughout the pandemic. That's how quickly all of this can unravel. You can see astronomical rises through a pandemic, which is just seemingly unheard of and completely illogical, but that's what happened. Because when you flood the system with trillions of dollars of funny money, it's going to make its way into some of these assets, and that's exactly what happened. But you can see how quickly it can all unravel. In a few short months, hell, even in a few short weeks in some respects, you can wipe out months or a year, sometimes even years of gains it was all fake it's going to evaporate like nothing and it's going to shock a lot of people and it's obviously going to have major ripple effects throughout the global economy the S&P 500 gave back about 8 tenths of 1% in Friday's trading session 4,328 points NASDAQ 100 gave back 1.4% 13,838 points as its current trading level excuse me That's a little bit more of a sell-off. Again, when you look under these broader averages, so that's going to be the S&P 500, but specifically, more specifically, the NASDAQ, you have a lot of losers, big losers. You basically have a bear market in a lot of those stocks. What's propping it up are only a handful of stocks, your Googles, your Teslas, your Facebooks, your Amazons your Apples, Microsoft, once they go, and of course, it's just a matter of time, that's game, set, match, because now you're going to lose confidence. That's what this whole game is about right now. It's all about confidence. It's what it's been about for quite a while, really since quantitative easing came to the markets, because once they pull it away, all hell breaks loose. We know this because we've witnessed it. So this is not conjecture. This is not me being biased towards me not believing in quantitative easing, which of course I don't. It doesn't work, okay? It gives the facade that that it works. It's smoke and mirror show. We were told by Ben Bernanke, the former chair of the Federal Reserve, who instituted quantitative easing, that once the crisis subsided, and that was the great financial crisis, they'll get the balance sheet back to where it pretty much was, historically speaking, or or a little bit before uh, the great financial crisis happened, which was right around a trillion dollars on their balance sheet. Well, you know, now we're up to $9 trillion. So he lied to us. Janet Yellen, former chair of the Federal Reserve, who's now our dingbat, Treasury Secretary. Well, yeah, she was on board with Bernanke. So seemingly, yeah, we'll get it back to normal. She never did. She took it up to $3.5 trillion in conjunction with Bernanke. Then we get Powell, and now you see where it is. So again, you can listen to these people talk, but you got to pay attention to what they do. When their lips are moving, assume that they are lying. You will be right probably 90 plus percent of the time. That's what they do. I know you don't want to believe that. I don't want to believe it either, but that's what it is. You can look at what they say, listen to what they say, look at what they write, and then look at what they do. Typically don't jive. They don't care about you. It's a big club. We ain't in it, but you're getting hit over the head with that club day after day, night after night, and you keep voting for the same idiots that keep running the show and keep appointing these types of people who can look at you in the face, even if it's on camera, and lie to you, tell you that they care about you, tell you that it's their job to work for you, the American people, the American family. They don't. You can't afford your house. You're living paycheck to paycheck. You can't come up with $400 cash in the event of an emergency. They... Let me tell you something. If that's love, if that's these people caring for you, oh boy, I'd hate to see what it looks like when they didn't like us. Maybe outright hate us. Couldn't imagine that! Because we got it so good now. This is the United States of America. We have an opioid epidemic. We got people dying from fentanyl, heroin overdoses. I mean, you got massive homelessness throughout this country. This is the United States of America. supposed to be the greatest country on the face of the earth. We have increased crime because prosecutors all over the country, especially in, of course, the big liberal cities, well, you can steal up to so much money. We're really not going to come after you. You can steal money. You can steal merchandise. We're really not going to do anything. Oh, and lo and behold, people come out in droves and film it, film themselves. They don't care. Posting it on social media. I stole this. I got a Gucci bag. I'm going in here. I stole all this stuff from Nike. I got all this jewelry. Hey, That's where we are. It's a banana republic, folks, and it's not going to get any better anytime soon. Uncle Sam's 10-year junk note yielding 1.74%. We've seen a lot of volatility in the bond market because a lot of traders, a lot of investors are trying to figure out what's going on here and how to best position themselves. My opinion, the best place to position yourself is in gold and silver, other precious metals, and overall commodities. Yes, a little bit of government debt might be okay because it might catch a bid. So you're not really looking to hold it to fruition to collect the yield because, I mean, my God, collecting the coupon with inflation at the rate that it is, you're not getting ahead. You're losing money on a real basis, which is ultimately what matters. So you're basically going to have to turn bonds, T-note, bills, whatever, You don't have to trade them like stocks and just have price appreciation and and collect the capital gain, unless you're just looking for a place to park your money. But that's what's going on here, because government debt is in a huge bubble, huge bubble, and that can burst any moment either, as well. So nowhere is really safe. I think it's safe to be in commodities. I think it's safe to be in precious metals. You're going to have to deal with some volatility, obviously. But those are real things. Those stand the test of time. And those are needed. Which again, I always come back to the point when I talk about inflation, you focus on the goods and services that people need. And that's what people need. And you, and I, This whole podcast was devoted to those pressures that continue to build and moving prices even higher on all of those goods and services that are needed. Russia's debt, of course, as you can imagine, their yields are spiking up 5.9%, almost 6% on Friday alone. The Russian 10-year government debt is yielding almost 20%, almost 20%. So those financial sanctions and other economic sanctions that have been placed on Russia are going to have an impact. It's going to take time for them to really have an impact. Uh, you look at the oil prices, gas prices, they keep going up. Well, that's what <laughs> Russia produces. Russia's central bank has been purchasing a lot of gold over the past several years. Gold prices are going up. Wheat prices are going up. It's a major export of Russia. You see where I'm going here? So yeah, we have sanctions put on them, but the very uh, products that they export and the precious metals that they have been purchasing are going up. So it's giving them a nice buffer to weather these storms. And if they're going to halt the export of fertilizer, well, it's going to have major repercussions globally, and it can kickstart a lot of revolutions and a lot of protests everywhere else, and it's hurting Europe in the process too, because they get a lot of these agricultural products and a lot of energy from Russia as well. So I think that's a good stopping point. That's a good overview of what took place during the week with some good highlights there I believe some good analysis as to what's been taking place and what's likely going to continue to take place. So, buckle up. I said it a couple years ago, you thought 2020 was bad, I said be prepared for 2021. Same thing here for 2022. Pandemics, wars, economic crashes, starvation, maybe on biblical of biblical proportions if they continue with these higher input prices, and with the banning of exports for fertilizers and other major commodities that can serve as inputs to produce food and to produce other manufactured goods. It's just getting started. Stay diversified, stay vigilant, and stay with the Capital News. I am Alex Karaitis. Godspeed.